if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now, seven minutes past o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It's a Thursday, the 29th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2021. I think Grover Norquist uh, decoded the uh, Democrats' tax plan, which is, of course, a tax and spend plan, just about as well as anybody could. I want to move on to some other issues this hour as it pertains to last night's speech by mumbling, bumbling China Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Uh, and then the phenomenal speech delivered by Tim Scott afterwards. You know, it's funny. Joe Biden came into office on Inauguration Day, literally during his inaugural address, talking about how he's going to be the president for all people, Democrats and Republicans, blue states and red states. We will be the United States. And yet, at the 100-day mark of his presidency, it was a Republican, a black Republican named Tim Scott, who actually did the job of unifying, trying to bring together blacks and whites and as he said, bring together uh, Christians and Jews and Muslims and atheists all together. Bring together police departments and black communities. Bring together everybody. Let's unify and let's recognize and acknowledge the greatness and the exceptionalism of this country. It was Tim Scott who did Joe Biden's job for him last night. And I thought that was extraordinary. And I want you to hear a little bit more of that. We'll give it to you in just a bit. But uh, as noted, I want to get to a few other things. Uh, that Biden did or didn't do last night. I thought it was astounding, as I noted, that he started off with, of course, the virtue signaling and fear-mongering that is, you are not yet free. We want you to get the, the shot. We want you to take the jab, as it's colloquially referred to as. We want you to get vaccinated, but we are giving you no incentive whatsoever to get vaccinated. Because if you are vaccinated, vaccinated like we are, you still can't hug anyone. You still can't shake a hand. You still must elbow bump. And you still must wear masks, even around other vaccinated people. It is a comedy. Well, it's kind of a combination, I guess, comedy and horror movie. Uh, Because it's comical that they actually think we're going to fall for this crap, but it is horrible insofar as they are trying to create fear. It is a fear-mongering attempt by them with this. Now, that's how they started. Let's fast forward to the end. Because it took the end of an hour-long speech for Joe Biden to address one of probably the top two issues facing America right now. The fact that we're under siege at our southern border. 
He waited until the very end of an hour-long speech on national television to talk about immigration. The media didn't even call him out on it. The media that was breathlessly reporting, kids in cages, kids in cages, kids in cages, oh my God, the humanity, during the Trump administration, are looking at scores more. We're talking six, seven, eight, nine, ten times the capacity in these holding facilities of unaccompanied children. How and why are they so overwhelmed? Because we won't send them back. In the Trump administration, they were sent back. No, they weren't turned back to wander aimlessly, a four-year-old trying to traverse the Mexican desert. That's the narrative that the left has painted, that the Trump administration, heartless and cruel to the very end, turned children around and said, nope, you're not welcome, go back and let them wander off. They put them on air-conditioned planes and in air-conditioned buses. And they took them back to their native countries. Joe Biden signaled before he even took office to the rest of the world that he would not be turning children away, that they would be allowed to stay. Because that's the humane thing to do, right? Sure, piling them all untested for COVID-19, by the way, on top of one another, in containment facilities, actual containers, as well as, you know, fenced-off facilities that would once be called cages and so on and so forth, seven, eight, nine, ten times the capacity, all on top of one another, he told everybody, you can stay, which means then we have to find your parents. Well, your parents aren't here. You came across unaccompanied, which means you were put in the hands of a coyote to deliver to this side of the border for virtually all the money that the parents have in this world? Because that's what they do. And if the parents, you know, parents, the way this usually works, I don't want to get too far off in the weeds here, but the way this, the, this usually works, the parents in one of the triangle countries will give a coyote, you know, as mu- you know, half of the money up front that it costs to deliver the child across the border, and then once delivery is complete, then they get the other half. And if they don't get their other half in time, they won't deliver the child at all. Or they will make sure the child can be taken into a different direction, which is, of course, where human trafficking comes in. But nonetheless, the parents are still in the the home countries. Joe Biden says the kids can stay. Well, we've got to find a place for them to stay. Who's going to look after them? There aren't enough foster parents in this country to take in all of these illegally crossing children. So what happens? Well, we've got to let their parents take care of them. Well, the parents are going to take care of them. They're down in Guatemala. Or they're down there in Venezuela or El Salvador. Well, then we've got to bring the parents here. And ding, 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 ding. There it is. Three new pathways to citizenship, or four or five or six, depending on how many kids came. All of the kids and the parents, pathway to citizenship, pathway to voting, and on down the line. He didn't even address the border until the very end. And even then, talked about the immigration problem at its core. It's not the border that matters. It's what's going on. That's why Kamala Harris is going down in June. The vice president is going to go down in June. Not to the border, not to McAllen, Texas. Not to talk to our border patrol agents. What are you seeing? Gentlemen, ladies, 
What are you seeing? Where is the uh, most vulnerable point of, of illegal entry? Show me how these children are being cared for. Tell me what's being done whenever they encounter, uh, whenever you and uh, Border Patrol agents and uh, Homeland Security agents encounter uh, people who have crossed the border. Tell me what we're doing. Tell me where they're going. How are we tracking them? Are we making sure they're coming back to have their asylum hearings uh, heard? She's not going down to the border to actually do work on illegal immigration into this country. She's going to go to... Uh, uh, to uh, which one was it? It was Guatemala, I believe. She's going to Guatemala in June to talk to the people down there to say, why do you want to go to the United States so badly? To talk to the government down there. Why are situations and conditions in your country so bad that your people all want to come to the United States? <laughs> it's diplomatic, Madam Circleback said. It's diplomatic leadership. She's going down there under uh, you know, the, the flag of diplomacy to say, what's, what's so bad down here that everybody's leaving? I don't care what's so bad down there. What I care about is our country being overrun. I care about our sovereignty being protected, and I suspect you do too. Kamala Harris's job is to protect the sovereignty of this country, not solve all of the economic problems of other countries. Because I've got news for you. Things didn't just get so bad in Guatemala in terms of national poverty or in Honduras or in El Salvador or in Nicaragua or any of the other countries, the Central or Latin American countries or South American countries, because people are making their way to our southern border from all over the world, not just the Central Triangle countries. Things didn't just get bad in terms of national poverty in those places this year or during the Trump years or during the Obama years. They've always been bad. So what's the difference? Why were crossings slashed extraordinarily during the Trump years compared to the Obama years? The root cause was just as bad. But the answer was policy. We are not catching and releasing anymore. In fact, if somebody wants to come here and make an asylum claim that they're escaping persecution, political or religious persecution, in their home countries, you sit in Mexico and you wait there for your asylum hearing. It worked. It was a great policy. But the problem is it was a Trump policy. And as such, Biden wanted nothing to do with it. That would give Trump credit for something, and that simply cannot be allowed. Stay in Mexico is a great thing. They don't come into this country. They stay in Mexico. It's as simple as that. That was a big deal that when we got yeah. that legally, we had to get that. We had to win that, and we won it, and they gave it up. Now everybody's pouring into our country. It's out of control. It could destroy our country if it keeps going, and the longer it goes, the harder it is to stop. There's no question about it. He was on with uh, Mornings with uh, Maria Bartiromo. And he's a thousand percent right. That policy worked. As many people have said, and I talked to countless experts about this, from FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, to all of the law enforcement agents, former Border Patrol agents, uh, ICE agents, and so forth, um, they all tell you the same story here. They all tell you the same story. And that is that when somebody is trying to escape persecution in their country, the safe, the first safe haven that they find is their asylum claim. In other words, if you're being chased 
just for, and I'm going to try to make up an analogy here on the fly, and I hope it works. If you're being chased in your own home by somebody with a knife, and you you want refuge, and the neighbor next door to you lives in a shack, and you say, that doesn't look like a comfortable place to hide, and the neighbor two doors down lives in a mansion, you don't get to skip the shack to go to the mansion to say, I need, I need a safe place to be. I need to hide, and I want to hide here because it's nicer here. This is beautiful here. In fact, I could stay a while. The analogy may not work completely. As I said, I made it up on the fly. But do you understand, if you claim that you are fleeing persecution or intentional harm in some way, the first person to offer you safe haven should be the place that you must accept that asylum. You don't get to skip past one country to go to the gold standard and say, no, I don't want to be in Mexico, which is better than the country that was persecuting me, at least in my allegation of persecution. I don't want to just escape Guatemala and go to Mexico, which is a little bit better. I want to go to America, which is a billion times better. So I'm going to skip through the shack until I get to the palace or the mansion. You can't do that. Now you're not going from you know fleeing persecution into safe haven you are, have already fled your persecution. You have escaped your persecution. You now have safe haven, but it's just not as nice here as it is over there. I want to go somewhere else. And now your asylum claim should be axed, gone, done. You're done. That's it. You have already gotten away from your home country, uh, which was persecuting you so terribly. Enjoy your new life in Mexico. Because if Mexico lets you in, then it's on them to keep you. Or send you back. They don't get to pass you along into this country. And Joe Biden wouldn't even address any of this. All right, let me get a quick time out here. I want to come back and I want to get your phone calls. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Join me on The Authority. Okay, 1025 on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get a phone call in from BJ, who's been waiting patiently in North Olmstead. Hey, BJ, go right ahead. Thank you, Bob. I'd like to make a, a major issue here with what went on last night in the House of Representatives. The uh, Biden, Harris, Pelosi, and all the representatives that were there, including the husbands and wives of these highest officials in our country, we're wearing a symbol to show that you have to comply. That symbol now is the mask. The big issue they were pointing out to us is compliance. And if they can get you to comply with the mask, they can get you to comply with anything. That's what's going on in our country right now is compliance. Not the Constitution, not the Bill of Rights, and not people's individual rights. It is complying with what they tell you it must be and has to be. And if you don't comply, they'll throw you in jail. They're already throwing people in jail for nonsensical reasons about voting issues or not wearing masks. In some states, they're throwing people in jail for not wearing, they're not complying. This is the big step that socialism is starting to push. There is no longer a Democratic Party. There is a communist, socialist, Marxist party, which started in Russia. Also, the banks are controlling people and how they're going. Soon the money is going to start to disappear, and you're going to be all handling, uh, buying and everything with cards. But you younger people are going to have to be really tested in how 
you are ruled, how willing you are to protect this democracy that we have, this, this wonderful country, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We are in a civil war now. There are no weapons being used, but we are in the civil war, and they're going to come after the guns to get more compliance. So we are now in the year of compliance, and if you don't comply, there's a price to pay. And I feel badly about that. I've always been optimistic with this country, but right now it is truly in the hands of you younger people, and I I pray for you, and I wish you well. Thank you for the time. Yeah, thank you, BJ. I uh, I pray for all of us as well. Uh, thanks for the call. Um, you know, the, the difficulty uh, about what BJ is saying, and he's right, by the way, is that there is... We, we can disconnect that call now, please. The um, difficulty is that people are afraid to buck the government. They're afraid to defy. He just said it's a culture that has been created of defiance, or I'm sorry, of compliance. And the opposite of complying is defying, and people are terrified to defy. Uh, So they kind of are forced to comply with threats of being thrown in jail. He's right. When he talked about, uh, you know, what the goal is here, if you don't wear a mask, you're going to be fined. And if you get fined, when you don't pay the fine, then you can be put in jail. So by extension is no mask equals jail. Comply or be jailed. Uh, eventually, the fear is that it's going to be the same thing with the vaccine, which is why I have and will continue to push, push, push for House Bill 248. And for, in addition to a legislative fix, House Bill 248, by the way, at least in the state of Ohio, would ban any forced vaccination. And I'm not telling people not to get vaccinated. If you believe it works for you and you have done your research, do it. It's totally your choice. That's the beauty of freedom. But it has to be our choice not to choose that, if, or you know, to have that vaccination, if that's what we have decided. Same thing with masking. For our health and for what's right for us, it may not be the same that's, uh, as what's right for you. Freedom must reign. So 248 would say, The people have a right to choose whether they take the proverbial jab or not. And they cannot be denied access to facilities, services, goods, um, you know, venues, et cetera, et cetera, transportation because of their own medical choices. And 248 would pass that. But it's got to be more than just a legislative fix in order to avoid this forced compliance BJ spoke of. I think there may need to be a constitutional amendment in the state of Ohio as well. I was chatting very briefly with my friend Rob, Rob Walgate before the show this morning, and he was talking about a constitutional amendment in which would outline, uh, outline it very, very clearly that no government entity, be it executive or legislative branch or appointed individual, can force people to do something when it pertains to their health that may be against their own medical provider or their own personal best wishes for uh, and best guidance for their own personal health, that no one can force you to comply at the threat of putting you in jail or denying you opportunities. So between the legislative fix and a potential amendment, I think that's as important, if not more important than anything else we have to worry about right now. BJ, thank you. We'll take a time out and we'll come back. More phone calls and more from Senator Tim Scott's terrific speech last night coming up on AM 1420. The answer. 
progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1036 now. We continue on AM 1420. The answer. I want to uh, welcome you to the show. Uh, if you want to be involved, involved more personally, dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, I'm going to give you what I promised you here, a little bit more of what I thought was, you know, it's funny, somebody else somebody else phrased it in a way that I did. Um, I promise I didn't steal it from them. I'm going to see. Oh, it was, it was Steve Scalise. Earlier on I said it kind of reminds me of uh, Joe Biden's inauguration. <clears throat> he promised to be the president for... Blue states and red states promised to be the president for uh, all Americans, you know, for the United States. And uh, he was going to be the the president of unity after Donald Trump, the divisive one, right? Um, And I said, when it came time to his 100-day address here to the joint session of Congress, kind of, sort of, um, it took Tim Scott to do the unifying. All Joe Biden did was more of the polarization, more of of the bitter division. Steve Scalise tweeted, Joe Biden talks about unity and bipartisanship. He promised it at his inauguration, too. But actions speak louder than words, and he governs like a radical and caves to his, his left-wing base at every turn. He's not fooling anyone. Somebody else put it into words, uh, actually spoken in this case. It's Georgia Governor Brian Kemp who talked about uh, the same exact thing. Joe Biden once promised to govern all of us equally, right? When Democrats have complete control in Washington, D.C., you can be guaranteed that they will overreach. And that's what the president has been doing. It's what he's doing now with these additional spending packages. It's like he's governing for only blue states and has no idea what's happening in red states. He governs only for blue states, has no idea what's happening in red states. It's true. So the real true unity uh, in the um, whole night, you know, the festivities last night, did not come from the quote-unquote unifying presidential night. The real unity came from Senator Tim Scott, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who said, we really do have to come together as a country, and this is the reason why. But this will be different. When America comes together, we've made tremendous progress. But powerful forces want to pull us apart. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. I'm an African-American who has voted in the South my entire life. I take voting rights personally. Republicans support making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so do the voters. Big majorities of Americans support early voting and big majorities support voter ID, including African Americans and Hispanics. Common sense makes common ground. 
But today, this conversation has collapsed. The state of Georgia passed a law that expands early voting, preserves no-excuse mail-in voting, and despite what the president claimed, did not reduce election day hours. If you actually read this law, it's mainstream. It will be easier to vote early in Georgia than in Democrat-run New York. But the left doesn't want you to know that. They want people virtue signaling by yelling about a law they haven't even read. Fact checkers have called out the White House for misstatements. The president absurdly claims that this is worse than Jim Crow. What is going on here? I'll tell you, a Washington power grab. This misplaced outrage is supposed to justify Democrats' new sweeping bill that would take over elections for all 50 states. It would send public funds to political campaigns you disagree with and make the bipartisan Federal Elections Commission partisan. This is not about civil rights or our racial past. It's about rigging elections in the future. And no, the same filibuster that President Obama and President Biden praised when they were senators The same filibuster that the Democrats used to kill my police reform bill last year has not suddenly become a racist relic just because the shoe is now on the other foot. Race is not a political weapon to settle every issue the way one side wants. It's far too important. I wish I could just play that on a loop, you know, for hours and hours and hours. I really do. And I'm not done. I've got about another three minutes of Tim Scott here that I want to share with you. But this last part here about race, it is not a political issue to settle ever or a political tool to settle every issue. It cannot be. I feel like this just needs to be said again and again. The way one side wants. It's far too important. I think I missed it. I wanted to play it again for you. Bear with me. I want you to hear this on the floor. And no. The same filibuster that President Obama and President Biden praised when they were senators, the same filibuster that the Democrats used to kill my police reform bill last year, has not suddenly become a racist relic just because the shoe is now on the other foot. Race is not a political weapon to settle every issue the way one side wants. There it is. It's far too important. This should be a joyful springtime for our nation. This administration inherited a tide that had already turned. The coronavirus is on the run. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed and the Trump administration, our country is flooded with safe and effective vaccines. Thanks to our bipartisan work last year, job openings are rebounding. So why do we feel so divided, anxious? A nation with so much cause for hope should not feel so heavy laden. A president who promised to bring us together should not be pushing agendas that tear us apart. The American family deserves better. And we know what better looks like. Just before COVID, we had the most inclusive economy in my lifetime, the lowest unemployment rate ever recorded for African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and a 70-year low nearly for women. Wages were, hear me, wages were growing faster at the bottom 
than at the top. The bottom 25% saw their wages go up faster than the top 25%. That happened because Republicans focused on expanding opportunity for all Americans. In addition to that, we passed opportunity zones, criminal justice reform, and permanent funding for historically black colleges and universities for the first time ever. We fought the drug epidemic, rebuilt our military, and cut taxes for working families and single moms like the one that raised me. Our best future will not come from Washington schemes or socialist dreams. It will come from you, the American people. Black, Hispanic, white, and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together, and we get to live in the greatest country on earth. The country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story. Not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. I am standing here because my mom has prayed me through some really tough times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way. Because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. So I will close with a word from a worship song that really helped me through this past year of COVID. The music is new, but the words draw from scripture. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. In your weeping and your rejoicing, he is for you. May his favor be upon our nation for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. Good night and God bless the United States of America. Um, I have heard some great speeches from great Republican leaders that I respect a great deal. <clears throat> I've heard some really good speeches from Donald Trump. They weren't always his forte, by the way. Uh, heard some phenomenal speeches from Ronald Reagan, even some good speeches from George Bush and George H. L. I mean, you know, and then of course there are senators and people like that. But I'll tell you what, that one was up there. I, I, I'm not going to do a top ten, but Tim Scott's was up there. That was a phenomenal speech. Phenomenal in that it was two things: it was aspirational and it was unifying, as opposed to Joe Biden's, which was intentionally. Uh, divisive. That's number, those numbers one and two, really. But the other thing that made it great was that it fact checked so much of the tripe that Joe Biden tried to force down the throats of the people for the previous hour. It fact checked Joe Biden's hour long speech full of lies. And what makes that interesting is that because it fact checked Joe Biden, the Left-wing hacks over at MSNBC, and I'm certain on CNN too. I just don't have a clip from them. But the left-wing hacks over on CNN or on MSNBC 
chose to fact-check Tim Scott instead, calling his speech a, uh, a speech delivered from a planet where facts don't matter. you got to listen to this. It's only a minute and eight seconds long. But I want you to hear it, and we'll talk about it. Speech delivered from a planet where facts don't matter, which is where the current Republican Party resides. So it's really not his fault. But it is his responsibility to get his facts straight. He said this, that Biden inherited a country that had already rounded the bend on COVID. 4,000 people a day were dying in January. So I don't, I don't know, again, on what planet we had rounded the bend. Um, well, he measured, did Joe Biden, he was going to measure his success you left-wing piece of flotsam and jetsam. He was going to measure his success on getting 100 million shots in 100 million arms in his first 100 day, or, uh, yeah, in, in his first 100 days. In other words, a million a day. That was his measure of success. Joe Biden's. He even bragged about it in his speech before that, saying we actually have 250 million shots so far in the first hundred days. So he was making it sound as though the way it would be measured, success would be measured, is if he, can, if he could get it up to a million uh, shots per day uh, in his first 100 days. But what Tim Scott accurately said was, we were already putting it in one million arms per day before he was inaugurated. And that's because of Operation Warp Speed. And that's because, and no matter what you think of the vaccine, and I'm not a massive fan, but I will never tell you what to do or not to do with your own health. That's your business. And that's your freedom, and I love that. I'll even tell you where to get your appointment to get your vaccine at Discount Drug Mart, if you wish to do so. But it was only made possible for our choices by Donald Trump and the unprecedented partnership between the public and private entities in, in, uh, in uh, the Trump administration, with respect to our national scientists partnering with uh, our, the uh, private companies in Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson and so on and so forth. We know the story. And they were putting it into a million arms a day before Joe Biden was inaugurated. That's why Tim Scott's fact check was accurate. And this hacks fact check just changed the story. It, it, it's literally changing the question. Joe Biden didn't talk about number of deaths per day. He said number of shots in arms would be the measure. So in other words, what Joe Biden did to, quote, round the corner for uh, the fight against COVID was to put his feet on his desk and say, keep on going, guys. You understand that? When he took office, all he had to say was, okay, so the vaccines are being mass produced at Pfizer and at uh, Moderna and at Johnson & Johnson. And they're already doing a million a, a million arms per day. Keep up the great work, guys. That was his job. That was his great, phenomenal, turn-the-corner, kill-COVID job. Keep going, guys. Keep pumping out the vaccines. Keep putting them into as many arms as possible. Thank you. That was, I'm going to call it a little lid for the day. That's what it was. Let's listen to more of this hack. Um, and Operation Warp Speed didn't do anything to get a needle into an arm. So a lot of disinformation. It felt almost scripted by someone close to the president. who A million shots per day were going into arms. You lying piece of MSNBC, you. Wanted that revision of President history. Trump. Correct. Um, I think that the most reprehensible thing in the eyes of clear-eyed people of any party about the Georgia law, the reason Major League Baseball left isn't because 
it makes it easier to vote in Georgia than in Democratic-run New York, um, is, 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 you know, again, if you're so proud of the lie, tell the truth about it. The lie would have removed Republican Brad Raffensperger from a decision-making place. So it's just disingenuous to say that the law is so good, we're so proud of it. If it were that good, Major League Baseball wouldn't have moved exactly. the game. So Unless, of course, Major League Baseball is run by an abject, inexplicable moron. Another left-wing piece of trash by the name of Rob Manfred in the commissioner's office and 30 Major League Baseball owners who know that they have to follow the cancel culture guidelines. That if they stand in Georgia, you and the rest of your liberal pieces of human waste would never let them uh, 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 fill their stadiums again. With your COVID lockdowns and within an active campaign to boycott baseball's sponsors. Baseball didn't leave Atlanta because the law was a racist law, the voting law that was passed. They left Atlanta at the tip of a spear. And then you idiots directed them to a lily white, 78% white demographic in Denver, Colorado. These people are hilarious. Final segment coming up. Okay, final segment of the broadcast. Thanks so much for being a part of it today. Um, just so much audio. And I, I gave you long form, about seven and a half minutes of, uh, of uh, Tim Scott's speech. I feel like it was warranted, as I said, because most people don't watch the rebuttals uh, because they're on late. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't even watch much of the speech that Biden gave because I know my limits. Right? I know my limits. I know what I can tolerate and what I can take and what I can process reasonably before just, you know, blowing my brains out, and you know, metaphorically anyway. Um, so like most people, I waited to see, okay, I, I, I know he's speaking now. I flipped on another show for a while. I came and checked back, and then I went and checked the highlights and read the text of the, of the speech so I can kind of know what I wanted to, know what I wanted to focus on this morning. Um, so because so many millions of Americans probably did not watch, you know, at least 75 million of them, did not watch Joe Biden's speech, you probably didn't know when to tune back in for the Tim Scott thing. So that's why I wanted to share the Tim Scott thing with you. But I do want to go back to Biden for just a moment in closing, for just a moment in closing. Among the other outlandish things that he declared, such as, you know, that the United States is suffering from an epidemic of gun violence, that the United States is is blatantly racist or systemically racist and, and on down the line, and that his administration turned the corner and solved the COVID crisis and got us back to where we're supposed to be and all of the rest of the nonsense. Among the uh, all of that, he called the January 6th riot at the Capitol, quote, the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War? Mark Hemingway in the Federalist notes, the last two Democratic presidents commuted the sentences of left-wing radicals who bombed the Capitol. Bombed it. Didn't just break into it. Bombed it. And they they commuted the sentences of these of these idiots not to mention since the civil war happened 
something called 9-11 happened, which one might view as, I don't know, a pretty significant attack on our democracy. And as long as you want to go there about attacking the buildings representing our democracy and our legislature, did they forget the 1983 bombing of the United States Senate? He wants to paint Trump supporters and conservatives in the worst possible light. So calling the January 6th riots the worst thing since the Civil War is an abject lie, but it's ab- it's incredibly intentional. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for being here. We'll see you for